Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. It's great to be with you this morning. Now, some of you probably for the first time have just put a name with a face. And you're like, wait a minute, that's the guy that sends the emails. That is me. Sometimes it's uh, kind of confused. That's the only thing I do. Matter of fact, probably the, the uh, most strange encounter when it comes to that particular topic was about three years ago when I was in Kenya. And I was speaking at a conference that was there with uh, folks from all over Africa. And a guy from Uganda walks up to me and he looks at my name tag and he stares at it a minute and he goes, are you the guy that writes those emails? So international fame. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, so if you would join me in Mark chapter 4 as we continue our look at this book. Where I grew up in Tampa, Florida, we had much, much different soil than what we have here in eastern North Carolina. Where I grew up in Tampa, it was rich, dark, black soil with kind of a gray sand mixture, Uh, and it was, seemed like it was very easy to grow things. I know the climate really helped with that, but the soil was a huge component in that fact. Grass just grew. You didn't have to aerate it. You didn't have to overseed it. You didn't have to do these things. Grass just grew. It was great. My yard, we had things like we had two orange trees. We had a grapefruit tree. We had two avocado trees. We had uh, a fig tree. Uh, We had all kinds of this fruit and and things that were growing and plants that were growing in this yard that you don't see around these parts. A lot of that was due to the soil as well as the climate and some other things that were there. But I came to North Carolina, and in North Carolina, I encountered this hard red clay that kind of had rocks all mixed in it. And the first time that I actually had been in a situation where you kind of really saw the effect of this is when we were building Patterson Hall that was on the west quad that's over there, and we kind of overturned all of that dirt that was in that particular area, and then it came time to try to make grass grow over there. And it took years, years and years and years and years to get grass to grow because it was this hard, rocky soil And so in North Carolina, you have to do lots of different prep. You have to aerate, you have to overseed, you have to defat, you have to do all these kinds of things to make things grow, especially grass in this particular area. Now, there are places in North Carolina, even eastern North Carolina, where if the proper preparation had been done with the soils, is that you could go in and you could actually see that grow a lot faster and a lot more fruitfully. And the important thing to keep in mind as we look at both of those situations is you can use in those settings the exact same seed and it will produce very, very different results. And that's where it is that we are this morning in Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at this series of parables. This is the parable chapter. There are some other parables in Mark, but this is the parable chapter. And it starts with this story of the sower, the seed, and the soils. And we're going to use this as we look at the entire chapter of Mark 4 today, but are going to really be focusing in on verses 1 through verses 20 as we understand what Christ is sharing with us in this parable. What this parable reminds us of 
is that if we, as we are faithful sowers of the seed, the gospel, the word of God, rejection is going to be the primary response that we're going to receive. Rejection is going to be the primary response that we are going to see. But every once in a while, we will come across that place where there's good soil and the seed is planted and it brings forth incredible fruit. In the previous chapter, Mark has already mentioned that Christ spoke to the crowds in parables, but in today's chapter, we're going to get a little bit more insight into what Christ is doing with the parables. Parables are stories or analogies or similes in some cases that use elements that would be familiar to society as they were being told to communicate kingdom truth or truths. But those truths can only be understood fully by a heart that has been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. William Lane in his commentary on this passage in talking about parables says that the realism of Christ's parables arises from the certainty that no mere analogy exists between natural and redemptive order, but an inner affinity because both strata originate in the purpose of God. This is why the kingdom of God is intrinsically like the daily natural order of the life of men. The createdness of the natural order thus becomes the vehicle for the tenor of the redemptive. Despite this connection, as we see in this particular passage, even the disciples that were there with Christ and us today, to many extents, sometimes we look at these parables and we see them as extremely clear and sometimes they take a little bit more explanation and a little bit more digging in to understand what is happening in these parables. However, as believers, we have been granted the secret of the knowledge that Christ is communicating here and we take these truths and we accept these truths that are being communicated. Now, leading into this parable, Jesus has drawn, drawn large crowds all over the place. In the first chapter of Mark, we frequently see references to crowds, but this time Mark takes in even further that description to say that this was a very large crowd that had gathered on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. Matter of fact, Mark has frequently called this gospel of immediacy since this term immediately, immediately is used all throughout the gospel, which you also might call Mark the gospel of the crowd. He uses it 39 times, and it shows up in every single chapter except for chapters 1, 13, 14, and 16. It was the crowd that clamored for his miracles, but it was also the crowd that called for his crucifixion. And the crowd conspicuously went away as he hung on the cross. The crowd is fickle, and the parable of the seed, the sower, the seed, and the soil speaks perfectly to this fact. In this case, the crowd had grown so large, Christ's only option in this passage is to get in this boat and sit out on the water to do his teaching. Now, before we get into this parable itself, let me address this approach that Christ is taking with the parables. Leading up to this point, his teaching hasn't been quite so veiled. It's actually been very, very direct. In Mark 1.15, he proclaimed that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You couldn't be any more clear than what Christ says in Mark 1.15. Those hearing him even remarked that this teaching was with great authority. And as we learn from Matthew after the Sermon on the Mount, that not only with great authority, but it was unlike their scribes their teachers during the day. I think we can get some insight here into what Jesus is doing as to why it is that he's turned from this 
clear message of believe, of repent and believe into the use of the parables. The parallel passages that go with this passage in Matthew is Matthew 13, and in Luke, it is Luke chapter 8. And Matthew records an event leading up to these passages where Christ specifically proclaims judgment on these groups that have been listening to him preach this word. In Matthew 11, it says that he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles that were done in you, if they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, more to- it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And for Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to Hades, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. They had heard the message to repent and believe. The crowds had been large, but yet this was not the response. And I think this is why you see Christ change into this mode of speaking to the, parab- speaking to the crowds, especially in the form of parables. These veiled truths of the kingdom that we see in the parables are for those that are repenting and believing and following after Christ for them to understand, but for the crowd yet to remain in the dark, veiled. Even though they understand the terms, they understand the analogies, they understand the pictures in some senses, they're still lost as to the meaning. For we see in Mark chapter 4 of this passage in uh, 10 through 12 where Christ quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 in fulfilling prophecy and also in the fact that he's sharing parables. For it says in verse, starting in verse 10, that when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he answered them and he says that the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. And otherwise they might turn back and forgiven. These are hard words, but Christ has preached the gospel. These towns all around the Sea of Galilee have heard. People have traveled from Jerusalem. These crowds have gathered gathered around Christ. They have heard the message, repent and believe, and it has not happened. Now, keep in mind, as we look at this particular parable, we're kind of looking back on it with eyes of faith. You kind of have to put yourself in a different position to see how it is the people that had gathered there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that day heard it. For us, we immediately hear the seed and the sowers, and especially because of the explanation that Christ gives, we know exactly what it is he's talking about. But you can imagine these crowds, what happened. They're getting larger and larger. They're inviting their friends. You've got to come hear this Jesus. You've got to come see these miracles that he's doing. He teaches with incredible authority, but yet... Nothing changes in their hearts. And they get to this one place here in Mark chapter 4, and they're on the edge of the seed, and instead of a miracle, instead of a message of repent and believe, he tells them a story about this sower who goes out and sows seed in these different kinds of soil. And that's all he shares with them. Can you imagine what it was like, especially for those people who are new, who had just been invited by their friends, looking at them going, what? What's this guy talking about? Okay, well, so a farmer goes out, what does that have to do with anything? 
This makes no sense. And you can see the people that have been following him like, what in the world's happening? This is such a different approach that Christ has been taking. I, I don't understand. This is not what we came to see. Some weird story about a guy sowing seed and whether or not it grows and doesn't grow. What's going on here? Now, you know, there's probably, like in every friend group, the one guy who walks away and they're sitting around a fire someplace afterwards and everybody's going, yeah, this Christ, he's lost his mind. He doesn't even know what he's doing. And there's one guy who says, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. It was deep knowledge. I understood it. And everybody looks at him and goes, you don't have a clue what he was talking about. But yet, in this point in time, it goes to prove this message that Christ is saying that I'm here to teach to you these truths about the kingdom, but it's only to those who have been granted the ability to understand this knowledge that they will understand. It's the quick success of this crowd that we see in Mark chapter 4 that I think helps us understand what it is that Christ is doing with this parable of the seed and the sower. In the world's eyes... Success had been achieved. You can in many senses say Jesus had gone viral. This was today's world. Stories all over social media would exist about Christ telling these stories about his miracles and his teaching and all these kinds of things, but yet again with no fruit because these people have not heard the gospel and repented and believed. So in the world's eyes, success had been achieved. And no doubt that some of this standard, the disciples at this point were thinking this heading, that this is heading into an incredible direction. Look at all these people that are here. But then Christ reveals this, this crowd is not the kingdom. While you might think that this has achieved success, this is not success. The kingdom is much, much different. So let's look at this first parable in Mark chapter 4. And as we look at it, one of the things that's easy to know with this parable is it's kind of hard to mess it up because Christ gives you the, the explanation for it. it. It's hard to say when the, the, the God of the universe, the incarnate God of the universe, tells you what the passage means to mess it up. But this is what it is that we have in this particular passage. And so let's look at this parable, and we'll read just the verses in verses 3 through verses 9. Christ says this, Listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell on the, along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. And when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on the good ground. And it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Now this parable is very familiar to us. We might even get caught in the situation where we look at this and say, yeah, 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 I've heard this parable before. But many times it's our familiarity with passages that take us away from the heart of the meaning of that passage and the passion that it should drive in our particular hearts, and that's what I hope that you walk away with from today. So the first thing that I want us to see here in verses 3 through 4 and also is explained in verses 14 through 15 is the rejection of the gospel by the hard heart. The rejection of the gospel by the hard heart. 
Israel was primarily an agrarian society. So to talk about someone sowing seed would be an image that any here there would easily latch onto. There was an immediate picture that would be drawn into their mind as this sower went out to see, to sow this seed. This is why that they were able to look and not perceive and listen and not understand. The picture itself is not a mystery, but the meaning of it is to the crowd. And as the sower is going around his property, he's taking the seed for his crop. He's either reaching into a bag or a bucket and he's grabbing the seed and he's throwing it out and it's falling in all different kinds of ground. It's important to keep in mind that the soil is actually pretty consistent. The soil that's, that's in all of these areas is really the same soil. It just finds itself in different conditions and where it is. In the first place that this comes is the seed is spread on top of a path. A path during these days, this is an area. Think about, in some ways, I have in my mind, as I talked about this hard red clay in North Carolina, think about a place where feet have trod, animals have trod, carts had trod, rock hard, almost impervious. So much so that even when rains come, unless they're goalie washers, it just it stays unchanged. It seems to not even affect the path at that point in time. And this is the person that's hard-hearted, the person that hears the gospel and immediately rejects it. We've probably all had encounters with these kinds of people. There's no openness to the gospel at all. They might be polite, they might be belligerent. They might even take it out and call you names because of what it is that you're trying to share with them about Jesus. And it's also good to remember though, that to those who are being saved, the gospel is the power of God, but to others, the gospel is nothing more than foolishness on their road to gaining whatever they are hoping to gain by the work of their own hands. What Christ reminds us of in this explanation of this situation is that there's actually a war for the souls of men and women because this just isn't simply the rejection of somebody that has a hard heart, but there's a battle that's going on. In the explanation of this particular section of this parable in verse 15, Christ tells us that Satan actually has his hand in preventing this person from responding to the gospel that it actually takes the seed. The parable talks about the birds coming and taking the seeds before they're gone. But 15, we actually learn that Satan himself is involved in presenting, preventing this from happening. It's a reminder for us that as we go out and we sow the seed, as we share the gospel, that we're reminded what it is that Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil and the spiritual forces in heaven. Satan does not want people to come to Christ. And he actively is walking around seeking who it is that he may devour and who it is that he might prevent from coming to Christ. Therefore, be prepared because there's much more going on that meets the eye. What you see is just a surface conversation, but there's much, much more that's going on behind in the spiritual realm. This rejection, it might be polite or it might be rude, regardless of the account of these way that people respond, it can be discouraging. We're, we're built for success. We want success, but in sharing the gospel, we are more times than not, not going to see success as we share the gospel. But as we learn from Matthew, and this is because as we learn from Matthew 7, 13 through 14, 
that the gate is wide that leads to destruction, but it's narrow that leads to life. Our responsibility as a sower is simply to spread the seed, the word of God, which is the gospel, as we learn in 1 Peter 1.25. Now, many times what we do is we change our role in these situations. We're especially in this kind of seminary setting that we find ourselves, we are used to studying things deeply. And where we will move from is from sowers of the seed to those that just instead want to analyze the soil. We want to be in a situation where we think, okay, and this, is this really worth, is this situation worth sharing the gospel? Because I don't think this person's going to be open to it. Keep in mind the parable, the example is here is that the farmer, the sower, as he's going to sow this seed is not really caring where it is that it falls. He's just simply sowing the seed. But yet, whether it's out of fear or whether it's us thinking that we're smarter than we actually are, many times we are prevented from sharing the gospel in situations by our own heart because we look and determine this person's not going to be interested in hearing. However, what we see again and again and again, and my guess is if we went around the testimonies in this room, we would find people, those same kind of people that we think would have never been interested in hearing the gospel, heard it, repented, and believed. Andy Davis, that was here last week, that did the lectures for us, pastor over at First Baptist Durham, he didn't enter college as a believer, but there was another student that was there that set his sight on Andy to share the gospel with him. Reached out again and again and again, and Andy was rude to him. Matter of fact, this guy would go sit down to him, next to him in the cafeteria, and he would pick up his tray and move someplace else. Hard ground, rejecting the gospel, not even allowing this guy to be able to speak the name of Christ. But I think that's one thing that's important for us to remember in these situations is that hard ground doesn't mean hard ground for life. We don't understand the mysteries of God and how it is that he works in people's hearts, but there was a time that Andy changed from hard ground to good ground. And that seed took hold and it grew and it has produced much fruit. So don't be discouraged. When you come across hard ground, don't be discouraged. Take heart. Know that first of all, that most of, all, that the, most of the responses that you are going to receive are rejection but that you might not always receive the same, mess, the same rejection from that person one day down the road. One day they might repent and believe, so be faithful to continue to engage them. Now, while some are hard-hearted and it leads to outright rejection, others seem interested, but what appears as interest is overcome either by external or internal influences. Now, as we look at this particular parable, I'm actually gonna take the next two together. Even though there's differences between the two, we're going to look at them together, and we're going to see how it is that the interest, there's interest in the gospel, but there's a distracted heart. Verses 5 through 7 and 16 through 19. In verse 5, Christ says, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. And when the sun had come up, it was scorched, and since it had, had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it did not produce much fruit. Or it, it came up and it didn't produce fruit. And it's, it says there then later on with the other good seed that's coming, but let's look at these particular uh, verses here through verse 7 as we look at this interested but distracted hearts that we see. 
as we look at these, what we see is that some didn't have much root. It was rocky ground. We don't understand necessarily all the intricacies of the soil and what's going on here, but Christ is describing these responses that happen. But in this particular situation, or actually in both situations, the seed actually brings forth a plant. There is a plant that's produced. So it appears from an outside that conversion might have actually occurred. We've all been in these kinds of situations where we've shared the gospel and it looks like somebody actually generally repented and believed, but then quickly they fall away. In these situations, they had an interest on these, but two things happen, either external or internal influences. The external influences are described as those that when they face the worries of this world or when they face the persecution that comes because of the word of God, they actually end up falling away. They can't handle the persecution. And what reveals is that salvation has never actually occurred in their heart. Many of the large crowds that we see in this passage might, might have even fallen into this particular category. They've upended their schedules, their responsibilities, and other parts of their lives to travel far and wide to see and hear Jesus. How, but however much on the surface it appeared that there was a great move of God among the people, Christ knew that true repentance and belief had not occurred. These with interested but distracted hearts are torn away from these external and internal influences. Persecution, the worries of these worlds, others like the rich young ruler who want to follow Christ and they, he wants to be able to get to heaven, but yet because of the fact that he owns much, he can't give all it is that he has to Christ. In verse 19, Christ says that the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. In the South especially, not so much with millennials or Gen Zers, but in the South especially, you come across baby boomers and Gen Xers that grew up in church. They made a profession of faith at some point, and they might even been, been baptized. But there was no fruit in their lives, and their salvation is purely based on a historical event and not a present reality in their lives. There's no present proof of their salvation, but there's proof of the things of this world for which their heart really longs. I used to love when we'd go out door to door when I was in Tampa, when I had this one guy who would uh, uh, share the gospel with, uh, that we'd, we'd share the gospel together with in the team. And whenever we ran across people like this that would talk about the time that they walked the aisle or the time that they would be baptized, he'd always change the question and say, that's great, I'm glad that happened. What kind of things have you happened in your life that showed that what happened there was actually true? Because no fruit was born. So the rocky ground and the thorny ground show us that there's more to salvation than simply an initial response, even a joyful initial response, as Christ describes. What is a mystery to us all is what happens between this sowing of the seed, which is the gospel and true salvation. This is a role that the sower that you and I play no part in. Later on in Mark chapter 4 here in verses 26 through 29, Christ shares another parable where he describes the kingdom of God as a man that scatters seeds. It says it sprouts and it grows and he doesn't know how, but one day it says that it will fulfill its purpose, the end will come and there will be time for a harvest. Our role is to sow the seed, to spread the gospel. 
Likewise, we see in Mark 4 and 21 through 26, Christ shares that the life of a believer is not one that's to be hidden, but to shine brightly in the world around us. Paul describes this life that we are to live in Philippians 2, 15 through 16. He says, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as stars like stars in the world by holding firm the word of life. We might not understand all that's involved once this seed is sown, but God will accomplish his purposes. And we know that our job is not to analyze the soil, it's not to dive into how the seed might produce true salvation, but to let the gospel shine and trust God in the mysterious work of his kingdom. This brings us to the final picture in this parable, true salvation. So let's look at what happens when there's faith in the gospel by the believing heart in verse 8 and verse 20. In verse 8, we read, But still other seed fell on the good ground, and it grew up producing fruit. And that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. And likewise, in verse 20, Christ says, And like those seeds sown on the good ground, hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times of what was sown. Some of the seed that we're going to sow is going to fall on good ground. It will happen. We don't know when it's going to happen but it will happen. And notice what the good ground produces. The good ground produces true repentance and belief that leads not to just some fruit, but lots of fruit. That's how salvation is described. While the amount of fruit that each believer will produce might vary, what will be consistent is that there will be much fruit. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us that while salvation is not by works, it is to works, which is the fruit of our salvation. For Paul says that you are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourself, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is the salvation that we've been called to, and the difference is, is that true salvation is not an event. It's not a plant just simply popping up and we see a plant, but it's one that produces fruit. True salvation comes with endurance. In 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5, through Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God has brought about your salvation. God is protecting your salvation, and God will reveal your salvation in the last days. I don't know about for you, but for me, I say praise God for my salvation. The fact that it's not dependent upon me, but it is dependent upon his work in my life. So what we've seen today is that the sharing of the gospel will many times not result in salvation. But the call of our life is to be gospel sowers. Don't worry about the soil. Sow the seed of the gospel. Those that do not care about the ground of the seed the, seed the gospel is, is, is falling on, that they don't care about those things, but they spread it indiscriminately and let God's word do the work of building his kingdom. 
in this final parable in Mark 4, 30 uh, through 32, Christ likens his kingdom to this small mustard seed, the smallest seed during that day that they were planting in Palestine. And it, it's this incredibly small seed, but when it grows, it can grow to over 10 feet tall. It's not like the large crowd that immediately shows up, but it starts small and it grows. Therefore, the kingdom is not going to start with this very large crowd. It's going to start in a small manner with this group of apostles that will literally turn the world upside down. These small beginnings will one day lead to a vast kingdom. As John saw in heaven, there were praises being sung by the Savior from the elders. In Revelation 5, 9 through 10, he says, And they sang a new song, because you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered, and you purchased a people for God by your blood from every tribe and every language and every people and nation. You made them a kingdom of priests, and they will reign on the earth. You know this kingdom? That we're a part of, if you've been redeemed, has a king, and his name is Jesus. He has shown so far in this book that he has the power over demons, the ability to heal, the ability to forgive sins, and even as this chapter closes, we see that he has complete authority over even the elements of creation itself by calming the winds and the waves. This is our king. Those of us that are redeemed are a part of this kingdom. And our role is to faithfully carry the gospel to every corner of the earth. Southeastern and guest, let us not judge our effectiveness by rejection and persecution. That is promised that this will come and will even be the majority of our responses. Let us be sowers of the seed, the gospel, as frequently and as widespread as possible, knowing that some of it will fall on good ground. This is your calling, not just one day in ministry, but where you find yourself right here, right now, in Wake Forest, North Carolina, if you're watching online, wherever it is that you find yourself, to be a sower of the seeds. Faithfully share the gospel. Faithfully share the gospel. Do not fear men, but faithfully plant and sow the seed. Let him who has an ear to hear, listen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is truth. And Lord, we are so thankful for how your gospel has gone forth and how men and women all across this globe have come to true faith and knowledge of you, Lord. But we know that there are still men and women that are around us every day and all throughout this world who've not heard your gospel. Lord, what we know is that you have called us to sow the seed and let you handle the rest. Lord, let us be faithful to proclaim your gospel to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our families, to those within our church that are not saved, to those that we meet on the street corner, to our servers to our Uber drivers, to our Lyft drivers, wherever it is that we find ourselves, let us be faithful to speak the words of life that we have. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And trust that you will build your kingdom. And we pray these things in your mighty, wonderful, and gracious name. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.